Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, visit our website at overflowdfw.com. Awesome. Well, hey, we are continuing our campaign through the book of Mark today. And today we are at our halfway point. This is this is chapter eight. And it's crazy. It's gone really fast. And and who knows what the what the rest of the year will hold uh, as, as we just, well, we know what it's going to hold. We're going to finish it up. But uh, who knows how, how long that will feel. I have a feeling it's going to go pretty quick. And so we're just continuing. And, and, and I want you to, to grasp something. As you're reading, you're going to notice, and I, and I trust that you're doing your reading every week, you're going to notice that there's kind of a transition. There's The pace kind of switches a little bit, and we start spending a, a, a lot of time Jesus growing in the tension of his suffering that he's going to face later. And we see some of this kind of start to emerge even before this in chapter 7, but in chapter 8 especially. And so Jesus has to really bring some clarity. So today the headline is Jesus clarifies. That's the, the headline today, Jesus clarifies. Now Jesus, in the beginning of, of Mark chapter 8, he feeds 4,000 people with seven loaves of bread. Now, when we talk about these loaves of bread, we're not talking about the ones that you get in the bakery department at Walmart, those big French bread rolls. We're talking more like the rolls that you get when you go to Texas Roadhouse. Come on, those kind of glory rolls, they're kind of like those. They're just small. They're not real big. And so they fed 4,000 people with seven of these. And then after they passed out all the bread, there were seven basket loads left over of scraps. And these baskets weren't like little offering buckets. They were like human-sized baskets that were filled with bread. And so what, what Jesus was able to do with little, come on, when it's in his hand, it becomes a lot. It beca- always becomes enough. And so they had this crazy miracle. And then some Pharisees come up to Jesus, and they're touring around. They're in the boat, and they're landing on different places. And you know if you've been doing the reading how this pace is just going on. And, the, and the, Jesus runs across some Pharisees, and they begin to demand a sign. Now, I don't know why they're demanding a sign because there's been tons of signs as we've been reading. And Jesus is like, nah, nah, I'm not going to give you a sign. We're just going to continue on. And so Jesus' tension is growing. He's getting frustrated. He's frustrated at the, at the Pharisees demanding a sign. They wanted him to do something for them, but they didn't really want to follow him. And so there's just this tension that he's frustrated about because they don't want to really listen to the things he has to say. They just want to see him do stuff. And I feel like that that's a lot of people today with God. I think they want to see God do a bunch of stuff, but they don't really want God's opinion on things. Come on. And so Jesus and his disciples, they, they get in the boat and they're, they're cruising. They're going around doing this ministry, not a cruise like you would think, like carnival cruise. I mean, they're like in this old rustic and they're, go, they're on a mission trip. And they're, so they're, they're in the boat. And it says this in Mark chapter 8, 14. This is the first part of our text. We're actually going to preach through the whole chapter. So Mark chapter 8, verse 14, it says, now they had forgotten to bring bread. <laughs> like you had seven baskets. They had forgotten to bring bread. And they only had one loaf with them in the boat. Everybody say one loaf. They only had one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. So they're thinking about bread. Jesus is thinking about one of the things that's in bread, leaven. Now, what what is he talking about? He's saying, beware of their leaven. So what he's not saying is he's not saying, I want you to be overly concerned about the whole entire system, but just the little thing that's mixed into the system, just the little thing that's mixed into the political system. Speaking of Herod, speaking of the government, governments aren't bad. 
Governments are God-ordained, but he's saying, listen, you got to watch out for the leaven. You got to understand that when there's a big bill about to be passed, that there are some little things in there that you need to read, right? And we know that that's how many things are passed. And so he's saying, listen, in his context, he's saying, beware of the leaven of Herod, the political system. And then he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, the religious system. Now, when I say religious system, you automatically think church. But how many know that Jesus wasn't talking about the church? Jesus wasn't talking about his church. Jesus established the church. It's Jesus. So when you complain about the church, you're complaining about what belongs to Jesus, that it was his idea. And so Jesus wasn't talking about necessarily the church. He's talking about religion. How many know you don't have to have the church to have religion? Plenty, plenty of people are religious without the church. In fact, I would suggest that the people that aren't in the church sometimes are more religious than people that are in the church. Everybody, being religious means that you're devoted to a set of rules. You have a code that you live by, and we all have that, right? So you have cancel culture. You have all these people that are like diehard. If you vote for this person, you're exiled. You know, this whole mindset, what is that? That's religion. And so people have, you know, patriotism can be a religion. So all these type of things, you have, you have corrupt politicians and corrupt doctrines. And Jesus says, beware of that. Beware when it's corrupt because it just takes a little to corrupt it. So if I bake some cookies and I brought them to your house, I was like, well, we love you. We just wanted to give you some cookies, um, which would be a great idea. And you ate those cookies. And you're like, these are so good. And what'd you put in them? And I said, we just put a little bit of dog poop in them. Would you have another cookie? No. Why? Even if it was just a little bit? What if it was just a little pinch? It's a little dropper, a little, little squishy dog poop dropper. No, you wouldn't eat any more cookies, no matter how good it tasted, because you know what was in there. But we do that all the time. We take the leaven. We take the leaven that the world is offering. We take the leaven. Listen, when you, have that, when you read something on social media and you have that speed bump, it's probably leaven. It's probably the Holy Ghost going, whoa. I know that the overall message sounds good, but it just takes that one little thing to screw it up. And there's a lot of this in our culture right now, especially. So verse 16, so Jesus is frustrated. He's like, beware of it. Watch out. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. So here they are. They're talking about bread. Jesus on a whole different page. They're talking about bread. And Jesus, aware of them, said to this, said to them this, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? <laughs> having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? Otherwise, you do not see what's going on. Can you not hear what's happening? Do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said 12, which would be a governmental number, by the way. And seven for the 4,000. How many basketfuls of broken pieces did you take up? And they said seven, which seven is very critical to the Pharisees. Seven, the Sabbath, right? And he said to them, do you not understand? So Jesus is making a point. Jesus is making a point, and then he's clarifying his point. How many know that Jesus is often misunderstood? I would say that there's probably no figure on the earth that, that in his human history that has been more misunderstood than Jesus. Because you have a lot of people out there that like some of the things that Jesus did, some of the ideas he had, but they don't receive him for who he is. They misunderstand him. 
So Jesus brings this clarity, and he's frustrated, right? He's just frustrated because they asked for a sign. He's just frustrated because he's trying to tell the disciples about the leaven, and they're not getting it. And but back to the sign thing. Listen, Jesus is not going to answer the demands of everything that people want to ask. When especially, you know, it's, it's, you've heard the illustration. Well, if God's real, then make this, you know, piece of chalk or whatever disappear. You know, all this kind of. Listen, God doesn't have to answer those demands. Who do you think He is? You think He's your puppet? He doesn't have to answer your demands. He's God. Especially if you have if you have an immoral heart about it. There's a difference between seeking a, a sign with something humble, but they weren't. Other people were seeking a sign too, and they saw it. But these guys, he rejected. So he doesn't, he doesn't give in to the demands of a book, broken and ill-motivated systems. Um, so Jesus is frustrated. He's frustrated with the disciples. So he's not just frustrated with the religious. He's actually frustrated with those that, he, or that are the closest to him. Why? Well, first of all, they were missing the point. They are missing the point about the Pharisees and by Herod. It's like he's going, come on, man, right? Come on, guys. Don't you get it? I know you're thinking about bread. Can, can you quit thinking with your stomach for a moment? Can you think with your brain? Can you think with your, your inner man? But the second thing that he's frustrated about is that they, they had enough bread. They had one loaf. They had one loaf. Now, one loaf is enough. One loaf is enough. Did you know that Jesus... The one loaf, the bread of life, is enough. Jesus is enough. Some of you are asking for another loaf. And Jesus is like, I'm the loaf. I'm the bread of life. I got enough. Is it enough for you? Is Jesus enough for you? You only need one loaf. And some of you are convinced you need another loaf. You don't need another loaf. You just need to eat the loaf that's there. Now, Jesus wasn't speaking of himself at this moment, but it preaches real good. But listen, he's frustrated because they knew what to do with one loaf. Because they had just multiplied loaves before. So he's frustrated that they don't understand what Jesus is frustrated about. (laughs) That's frustrating. Why aren't you frustrated about what I'm frustrated about? But he's also frustrated because they don't know what to do with one loaf. Because they're saying we don't have any loaves. And Jesus likes to take loaves and make them into baskets. And they're thinking like a poverty mentality. We only got one loaf. And he's like, one loaf's enough. And so they didn't know what to do with one loaf. So it's frustrating Jesus. Now, he showed them twice how to do this. In fact, he used them to do this. Can I suggest to you that Jesus expects the miraculous? He expects it. And it's okay for him to expect it because he's given you the Holy Spirit to perform it. To do the same things that Jesus did. Not just miraculous to happen in us, but through us. And he expects the miraculous. So he's, Jesus is frustrated. I mean, it's it's very obvious to me. He's frustrated because he's like, why can't you just multiply that bread? And they didn't. Or maybe they did after he rebuked them. So it says this, continuing in Mark 8, verse 22. So here they are. Now get this. Jesus is frustrated because they don't get it. Right? Are you seeing? They're not comprehending. They, they got eyes to see, but 
and this has been a theme through Mark. They got eyes to see and ears to hear, but they, they don't. They should, but they don't get it. And he says this, and they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Love that. Come on. Come on. Let's go over here. Let's get alone. And when he spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. I, I see some figures that if he was blind all of his life, I would even know what trees look like. Maybe he was, as a child, he wasn't blind. Who knows? But he's like, they look like trees. He's not seeing with clarity. He can see better than he did the first time Jesus prayed, but he's, they're still not seeing with clarity. And then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything. I want you to circle this clearly. So he saw everything clearly. Now, love where this miracle's placed. Right here in the heart of the text. And what I love about Jesus is that even if he might be frustrated, he extends mercy for multiple encounters. Because sometimes, even though the bread is enough, sometimes one encounter ain't enough. Sometimes coming to the altar one week ain't enough. Sometimes waking up every day for five years, praying for the same thing, sometimes it's not enough. But he's got mercy for multiple encounters. Come on, how many are glad that he doesn't give up on you whenever you didn't steward one of the encounters well? And so I think what the Lord is saying is ask again. He's been telling me this all week. There's something I've been praying for for 15 months. And the Lord this week, and I quit praying about it because I felt like the Lord said, trust me. And then this week, you know what he said? Ask again. I'm like, okay. Because he has mercy for multiple encounters. See, Jesus extends mercy to accomplish his means. And he wants his means met. So he's going to give you the mercy. And that's what he does with a blind man. He doesn't go, well, I guess you didn't get healed. God bless you. You want some bread? We have some left over. No, he prays again. Beloved, pray again. They didn't get healed. Pray again. The womb didn't open. Pray again. The bank account's still empty. Pray again. Doing a little better, but we're not there yet. Pray again. And just spend your life praying again. Knock and keep knocking. Ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. And the door will be open. So Peter. Love Peter. Right? I've said this before. It's sad that we associate mostly with Peter before Pentecost and after Pentecost. But here we are. Mark 8. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi. We love this story. We talk about it a lot. It's a staple here. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? What are they saying? And they told him, well, John the Baptist. That's interesting. It's my cousin. Others say Elijah. Others say one of the prophets. Other words, they can, they recognize there's something about you, but it's just not completely clear. And so he says, but who do you say I am? 
No Peter. Always answering. Love it. Peter answers, you are the Christ. And we love Matthew 17 where, where this story is expanded a little bit. And he says this, you are Christ, son of the living God. And Jesus said, that's right, and you're Peter. And on this revelation, on this moment, on this encounter, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. And whatever you bind on the earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. He's like, I'm going to build my church on you in this moment, Peter. We're going to build it. It'll be my church, but you're going to build it. <laughs> Peter's like, yeah, I can see. It's like his eyes are open, and Jesus makes that statement to him. He said, this was not revealed to you by men. This is important. This was not revealed to you by men. Someone didn't convince you of this. God convinced you of it. This is given from God. So Peter gets it until he doesn't. Because carry on. Verse 31. I mean, Peter, can you imagine this affirmation? It's like, yeah. We're going to build it. He's enthusiastic in the moment. Have you ever had those moments where you're just like, yeah. And then, right? right. It's kind of like Peter was, was walking around with glasses on. These glasses. I can see. Come on, things are a little blurry. My Elton John glasses, I guess. Well, I can see, but not real clearly because I need these to see clearly. HD. But also, it's like everything's a little bit green. I'm just kind of loving everybody right now. Man, I need more of these more. Different color, though. So you're green. You look like a gremlin or something. I mean, you just look different. You're not clear. You're not making, you kind of look like trees. I can see, but not clearly. And this is Peter. He thought he could see clearly, but actually he couldn't. He couldn't. So Jesus has to clarify. We thought he could based upon his statement, but look at the next verse, verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. He said this plainly. He made it clear. And Peter, here he goes again. Peter, anybody ever seen glasses on top of glasses? Because they don't have prescription shades. And Peter took him aside. Bad, bad idea, Peter. And begin to rebuke him. <laughs> it's a wrong, wrong choice, Peter. <laughs> bad choice, right? Like you need to go to timeout. <laughs> we don't rebuke Jesus. We just don't do that. <laughs> Lord, you're not gonna die. I mean, this is so awesome. We've got all this following of people. We're seeing miracles. You can't die. I rebuke you. But turning and seeing the disciples, Jesus turns and rebukes Peter. How many are kind of like, you've been rebuked by the Lord? Yeah, it's happened to me a couple times this week. I've been affirmed by the Lord, but I've also been rebuked by the Lord. Because whom he loves, he corrects. <laughs> and he says this to Peter. 
get behind me, Satan. Oh, that escalated quickly. I mean, Lord, can we go back to the conversation about building the church? I mean, this is just verses away from the guy going to build the church on to Satan. Devil! Get behind me, Satan. And this is what he says. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. Things of men? Didn't you just call him Satan? Yes. The things of men are influenced by Satan. So Jesus gets intense and identifies and rebukes the thoughts of men. He identifies them as from the devil. And then he rebukes them. Beloved, can I tell you, you do not want the Lord affirming your thoughts of man. You want him rebuking them. Because you want to think. We talked about thinking last week. You want to think clearly. You want to see clearly. And Peter wasn't seeing clearly. So Jesus is saying, Peter, let me take these glasses off your eyes. I want you to see, Satan, what it looks like to follow me. And so he, Jesus calls out to the crowd that's around them. And the disciples are close to them. And he said to them this. And this is where he gets real clear. And it's not real fun. And I'm your pastor, but I have to share the truth with you. And this is what he says. If anyone would come after me, if anyone wants to follow me, well, Lord, can we talk about the other stuff that we were talking about in Sincere Philippi? No. Let's talk about what it means to come after me, to follow me. You got to deny yourself. Deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever will save his life will lose it. Self-preservation. Whoever loses his life for my sake Continue for my sake and the gospel will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? What can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, not just him, not just Christ, but also what Christ says. In this, I would say, right now, in 2020, in this adulterous and sinful generation, if you are ashamed, beloved, of what Jesus has to say, of who Jesus is, the Son of Man will be ashamed when He comes in His glory of His Father with His holy angels. Are you ashamed of who Jesus is and his gospel. Because many of us love Jesus, but we don't necessarily like to chime in on what he says. The thoughts of men. What are you speaking? Are you speaking the thoughts of men? Or are you speaking what comes from God? And my trouble, beloved, right now in this hour especially, with not just wokeism, but Christian wokeism, is that there is a lot of the thoughts of men that have infiltrated Christ's church. 
and he doesn't need the thoughts of men. Frankly, I'm appalled by how so many Christians are so easily deceived. This is what Peter was. He was deceived in this moment. Deceived by Peter, a follower of Jesus. Deceived. Deceived by unsound social media, woke theologians that are promoting a non-biblical Christ. Because they they saw one thing that Jesus did and they said, well, that's how Jesus is. And we, we exclude everything else. It's a false gospel, conforming and affirming human nature. The very thing that Jesus came to transform. Listen to me. The world is not in a good place. It needs his transformation. And we've got so much of this affirming language. just, Just come. He takes you as you are. Yes, but that is not what it means. That is not what it means to follow him. Come to me, all who are weary. Yes, come. But if you want to follow him, there's a different language. So all this affirming human nature, affirming weakness, affirming tendencies, affirming sin. That is not from God. That is the ideas of man. Jesus came to transform humanity. That's why he went to the cross. That's why you must be born again. Because in your nature, you're not good enough. Good enough to be loved. Valuable enough to be loved. But broken in your human state. This is the gospel. This is the gospel that I am not ashamed of. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is a power of God. To bring salvation to men. This is what the Apostle Paul said. I'm not ashamed. It might get me killed, but I'm not ashamed of it. Because it is the only hope for humanity. And I don't want to tickle them with lies today so they feel better today and be in torment for eternity. So there's this movement, this like progressive Christianity movement, which, by the way, is broken. We don't need to progress. We need to regress to the book of Acts. I'm not saying there's not things that need to be changed. But we don't need to add to the scriptures. Christianity is not, a, is not an idea that needs to grow. It's a movement that needs to grow. But that goes by going back to our roots. So this movement, they twist scripture to justify immoral lifestyles and unbiblical ideologies. And this is what happens. Is they devalue the scriptures that they don't like. I don't really like that. Let's just pretend that's not there. That won't fit at Hobby Lobby. Right? I'm not going to make coffee mugs out of that one. Like the scripture Jesus just said. The same one that said, come to me who are weary, said, come and die. And so we like to dismiss, this culture is dismissing these scriptures. However, we'll grossly take the same scriptures and twist them out of context to justify sinful behavior. I see it every day. I see it. So my question to you today. Do you want to follow Christ? Or do you want to follow a character of him that our culture has created? Because there is a false Christ being preached. And it's surrounded by a false gospel. And I'm wondering, I'm sitting here wondering, 
where did they come up with this Jesus? Because that is not who I read about in scriptures. Well, the scripture, we just always, where else are you going to get Jesus, bro? Everything we know about him is in the scriptures. Not everything, but 90% of what we know about Jesus is in the scripture. He's very real historically. But what he says, his teaching, his ways, they're in scripture. And scripture don't always feel good. And it's not always palatable. I don't always like it. When I read it, sometimes I'm like, oh, it's a little, oh, I'm like, okay. Let, let me tell you how this is, this is found. This is how you find Christ this way, this false Christ, this character of Christ. You do it by eisegeting the text. Eisegete means, this is a hermeneutic term for you, which basically means like the interpretation of scripture. So I'm going to get real Bible school for you. It'll be good for you. Eisegete means that you place something in there. So when I read the text, I add it in. This is what the Pharisees were doing, by the way. They were adding to the text. But instead of eisegeting the text, reading my situation, listen, take it in its true form. It will speak to your situation. Reading my situation into it, my thoughts, the thoughts of man into it, but the, the proper way to receive the scriptures is to exegete the text where you pull out of the scriptures and you go, I apply my life to the scriptures. So exegete, I'm pulling out from the scriptures what is there, or eisegete, I'm reading into the scriptures that's not there. And this is where it leads you. It leads you to someone who is being described that is not the same Jesus that is in the scripture. And it doesn't matter what the language is being used. I'm a follower of Christ, but your life looks nothing like him. You haven't denied yourself. You haven't picked up your cross. You haven't followed him. You haven't cared about a poor person or a widow or an orphan. You don't believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. You're not a follower. Following means following his teachings. So this movement is is, is very much affirming anything in my, in my life that's contrary to the, the character of Christ. I can just affirm it. Listen, anything that affirms anything in your life that's not of the character of Christ is, is the things of men. So I would encourage you to get off the text of social media and blogs and get into the text of Scripture to find out who Jesus really is. See, many are, yes, many are willing to obey God until it's inconvenient or uncomfortable. And so what we do is the Lord has a standard that we don't like, and we do exactly what Peter did. We rebuke him. Lord, I don't like that standard. It's uncomfortable. I rebuke you, Lord. You might not do it verbally. You might even know that you're doing it. But what you're doing is you're saying, you know what, God? Your word isn't good. So I don't, I don't really like what you said. I don't like it ethically. I don't like it directionally. So every act of, listen, every act of disobedience towards the Lord is saying my way is better. My way is better than yours, Lord. So my encouragement to you is to get into the scriptures. And listen, it could be some, some preacher with broke theology that gave you that. Could be the monument. There, trust me, there's plenty of stuff that I learned almost 30 years ago, 27 years ago. There's plenty of stuff that I heard was from the mind of men and not from the heart of God. Absolutely. In the church. So how do we follow Jesus with clarity? Because he makes it clear. He took off the glasses. And I love it that he spoke plainly. This is what he says. This is hard. I don't say this like, yeah, you're so. I'm not. I'm saying, man, I, I've got some work to do in Josh Brown's heart. 
And so this is what he says. Deny yourself. You want to come after me? You got to deny yourself. Now, what that doesn't mean is it doesn't mean it's not talking about self-care. But it is talking about being self-centered. The people that need the, let me just say this about self-care, because I do think it's important. I do think it's important that you're rested. I do think it's important that you're aware. I do think it's important that you have right people in your life. I, I believe in all of that. But what I've found is people that are most aware about self-care are the people that always need it. Can I tell you, I, lo- I love you. Did you know that the disciples, you know what they did whenever they, they spread the bread out? They didn't eat the bread first. They ate the leftovers. And there were way more leftovers than they started with. But they fed the crowds first. They denied themselves the ability, the, 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 the function to eat so somebody else could eat. That's called being selfless. That's called denying yourself. They were learning. Jesus had them in school come on for three years. So self-sufficiency is not the goal. I know that that's the American dream. I know that that's what culture is teaching you. You just need to be self-sufficient. You, and, and what we're doing is we're isolating people. Nobody needs community anymore because we're so self-dependent. We're so self-sufficient. Listen, it's good. Can I tell you today that it's good that there are people in your life that are better at things than you are because you need to draw from their better. I guarantee you, I don't want to hang a door at my house. I'm going to call somebody that could do that, that has the tools and the patience. I mean, I got the strength to do it. Let's just be real. But, okay. So self-sufficiency is not the goal. And many would rather disobey God and please themselves than honor the Lord and deny themselves. Many would rather disobey God to please themselves than honor the Lord and deny themselves. And so we go, well, I don't really want to, that, that's too costly. I don't want to deny myself, so I'll disobey God. I want to ask you today, I know this is heavy, please. It's just the scriptures. It's not fun, but it's the truth. And I don't want to give you a gospel that's palatable. I want to give you a gospel that's true. So when was the last time you told yourself no? Get this. The secret to a full life, because we talk about be fulfilled, have a happy marriage, and have relationships. This is the secret to all of that. Because when you can get your eyes off yourself, and start seeing the your life God created you to service those around you. I'm telling you, there is so much more fulfillment. Now I don't, now I don't deal with anxiety. You know when I, because I, I, I can struggle from anxiety at times. You know when I'm anxious most? When I'm thinking about Josh Brown. That's when I'm anxious. When I'm thinking about myself. When I'm giving of myself, it doesn't even cross my mind. The secret to a fulfilled life is a denial of self. I'm denying myself. I'm laying my wants. I'm laying my desires. I'm even laying my dreams, my hopes, my ambitions, my rights. I'm laying it all down, just laying it down. And it's so much easier because now I don't have the pressure of fulfilling my own needs. I've denied myself and I said, God, I'm yours. And he goes, good, I'll take care of it. Let me take over from here. You take care of the holiness, I'll take care of the happiness. So 
he says this, deny yourself. Number two, he says, pick up your cross. <laughs> For the apostles and an estimated 900,000 people since then, that meant physically. Not over 900,000 martyrs for Christ in the last 2,000 years. Probably not going to happen to you. I hope the willingness is there, but it's probably not going to happen to you. It will happen in the world. We've seen it recently. That people will have to pick up their literal cross and, and die. Maybe not a cross, but another form of execution for their faith. But are you willing? And you got all these people, well, I'd die for the, if it came down to it, I'd die for the Lord. I'd die for the Lord. But you're not, you're not even willing to live for him. Like, I, I, don't, get, I don't get this, this concept that says I, I would be willing to die. But you, you haven't even died to your own desires. You haven't even, you haven't been willing even to die to an argument that you got in with your spouse this morning. You can't even deny your flesh and, 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 and pray for 20 minutes a day. Come on. <laughs> oh. The fact is this, is we can't follow Jesus without carrying a cross. Listen, it's time that we get off our thrones and pick up our cross and pick up our cross. It's our destiny. It's our destiny to live the crucified life. And how was Paul willing, willing to be beheaded? Because he says this in, in, in Galatians chapter two, he said, I have been crucified with Christ. The reason why he was able to die for Christ is because he already did years before that. He died in the moments. He died in the struggles. And whenever sin crept into his door, he died to his desires. So whenever it came literal, he is willing to do it. Have you died yet? Have you died yet? Have you died to your life? Have you died to your opinions? Have you died to your rights? Because last time I checked, dead people don't have rights. I know it's hard. I'm looking at it going, oh, help me, Lord. I need the grace to die so that I would have the grace to live. Follow him. Number three, follow him. And then he kisses. If you want to follow me, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and then follow me. For real, though, like a follower of Christ, you're following the teachings of Jesus. You're following the words of Jesus. Being a Christian doesn't mean that you made a decision. It doesn't mean that you prayed a prayer. It doesn't mean that you made a decision to come to him, but to follow him. That is the decision you made. And we will have moments. We will have the decision moments, but it's a, not a momentary decision. It's not a decision to say, you know what? I'm going to yield my heart to the Lord and then go live my own life. No, I'm going to yield my heart to the Lord and I'm going to chase him for the rest of my life. I'm going to be right behind him. Denying myself and pick it up my cross every day. Because this morning when I woke up, I had to deny my yesterday. I had to crucify my yesterday because I had a crappy day yesterday, if I'm just being honest. So when I woke up this morning, I said, you know what? I have a destiny. I have things that God's placed in my heart to do, and I can't allow tomorrow to affect today. I've got to die to that. I've got to die to its power. doesn't mean that I don't grieve. I'm not talking about any of that, but am I willing to die to it to where it doesn't control me? I love you. Please know this. 
It's not just receiving affirmation, but following direction. See, he values you as you are. For God so loved the world, right? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't send his son to condemn the world. No, 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 none of that. Listen, he values you as you are, but he loves you enough to transform you into whom he intended you to be. And I hope your process in the Lord is not what can I hold on to. I hope your process in the Lord is, Lord, I'm being renewed. I'm being transformed every day. I'm growing. My light's brighter. My fire's hotter. I'm going for the Lord. And get this, the gospel is this. Savior and King. And King. Peter stands up and acts. <laughs> Finally gets it together. And he's like, this same Christ that you crucified, God has made him both Lord and Savior. And see, some of us, some people want to be their own Lord. And my answer to you is this. If you're going to be your own Lord, you're going to have to be your own Savior. You've got to accept him for who he is. He is Savior. He is, he is the rescue. He is the life person. He is, but he's also the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is also the one whom I follow because he is Lord. He is also the one that I said, Lord, I will, I will give it all to you. Not just my death if I had to, but Lord, I'll give you my pursuit. I'll give you my hopes, dreams, plans. All I'll just give it to you. I'm, I want to be fully surrendered. And sometimes fully surrendered to tomorrow just looks a little better than it did today. And it's not, number four is this, and we're closing. It's for Jesus, for the sake of Jesus and his gospel. Get this, beloved. This is what he says. If you're ashamed of me and my gospel. It's not just about Jesus. I love Jesus. Got a little relationship with Jesus. Got a little little, little thing. Got a little, little home group, just me and the Lord, you know, on my couch. No, 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 no. It's not just that. It's the message. It's this good, good news that says, hey, I was jacked up. I was broken. I was sinful. But God had a mission. And God had a search party, a one-man search party that came on the earth and seek and save that which was lost. And that was me. I was stinking lost. I was a sinner. I was filthy. I was unfit for him, but he said, you know what? I'll die for you. I want you so much. I'll take you. Listen, this is the gospel that he's called us to champion, to carry, to preach. And he says this, if you're ashamed of me and you're ashamed of my message, then I'll be ashamed of you before my father. It's a hard word, Jesus, but he's making it clear. He's saying, this is what it takes to follow me. Will you stand? I got, I got a scripture I, I want to process and pray and, and just kind of reflect on you for just a moment, with you for just a moment. <sighs> Colossians 3, let's just close our eyes. I, I want you to, I want you to just ask the Lord. I, I, I do this just about every day. I say, Lord, search me. Help me, Lord. Search me, Lord. 
This is what he says in Colossians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul. He says, for you died. When you came to him, you died. Remember, you were born again. Remember, you went into the waters of baptism. You buried yourself. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Your life is hidden. It's not to be seen. It's only him to be seen. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Put it to death. Sexual immorality, impurity, lusts, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourself of such as these things also. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed, which is being renewed in knowledge and in the image of its creator.